Well, you probably don't have to listen to this podcast to realize that there are a lot of people suffering and you might be among them, although you might not be the one diagnosed with some mental disorder, depression, anxiety, whatever it is, you might be the helper. It wasn't too long ago, in fact, just the other day, I got a call from a woman who was desperately needing help for her husband, she said. And yet I listened to her and I listened and heard the pain very clearly in her voice. And I wanted to say, I love the fact that you're wanting to reach out, that you're wanting to support your spouse and his struggle. But boy, what about your pain when the helper needs help? And maybe that's you. Maybe you're doing okay or maybe you're struggling. Not because that you're the one, again, diagnosed with some sort of mental disorder, but you're the one who is in charge of taking care of them or trying to support the relationship or trying to support your family when they're not available to you. And the stress of living with somebody with mental illness is tremendous. And you've got to remember to take care of yourself. If you're going to be that person to be available, to help, to support, especially if you're living together, then you've got to remember to take care of yourself. Maybe it is your child, your husband, your boyfriend, your roommate that is struggling. But what do you do? You know, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, he said, everything in the world is about to be wrapped up. And I know right now you might be looking at your life and it's like, man, I'm ready for that time to happen right now. But what Peter goes on to say is stay wide awake in prayer. Most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Love makes up for practically everything. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless, cheerfully. And I think this is a great reminder that if you're the one who is reaching out to someone who is oppressed or somebody struggling with mental illness, how are you doing it? If you look at your own life and say, yeah, it's kind of not so cheerful right now, then maybe it's time for a reset. Maybe it's time to reorganize your priorities. Maybe it's time to really look and understand how you've got to help yourself so that you can continue to effectively help that other person. And live out the way God wants you to live. Now again, a lot of times what's difficult with mental illness is their behavior is unpredictable. And sometimes you're just left to wonder, it's like, well, I'm not exactly sure what to do. And that's completely understandable. But I want you to keep in mind that it might not be your job to do everything. I want to suggest that you might have to step back and say, maybe I'm trying to be too much for this person and it's just not working out. But the good news is, if you have appropriate boundaries, if you understand what your role is, then that mental illness doesn't have to degrade a relationship. You can actually still have a thriving relationship, of course, with somebody who is struggling, whether it's with bipolar or depression or schizophrenia, whatever the uh, disorder is. You can have a relationship, but you might have to change what you do. And the focus I want to bring the attention to right now is how to help yourself when the helper needs help. Now, again, mental illness affects all relationships. And maybe, you know, that person who is just diagnosed with it, whatever it is, whether it's a, a medical ailment, Crohn's disease. I'm working with somebody right now who has Crohn's disease and newly married. 
And I said, well, how's the relationship? And he says, not too good. <laughs> and a lot of it had to do, it sounds like he was married to a wonderful woman, but a lot of it was his own worry. He said, I, I don't know what to do, how she's going to respond because I'm so sick. I can't work right now. I can't provide. I can't do the things that she wants to do as a couple. And he was the one worried about her. And no doubt she's doing her job worrying about him. <laughs> but what if you can actually reduce the worry and just be more effective? How do you do that? Well, communication. More people come to me, especially for couples therapy. It's like, well, we just don't communicate. <laughs> and I always explore what that is. Well, what does that actually mean? And a lot of times, poor communication comes down to not listening, not po putting the focus on understanding. And it might be very difficult for you if you're not depressed to understand your spouse's or your friend's depression. It's like, well, why don't you just get up? Why don't you just do something? And that shows a lack of empathy. So again, sometimes just figuring out, well, what would good communication mean? You know, and sitting down with that person and asking them, do I understand what you're going through? Help me to understand. You know, and it can be struggling. It can be frustrating. Because you agreed to go into this marriage, you had this partnership, this relationship, and then all of a sudden it seems as though they can't hold up their side of the bargain. You know, maybe their mental health condition prevents them from keeping a steady job, and that can be especially stressful if all of a sudden you have to figure out how to compensate, how to make up for their financial deficits. Maybe you got to go out and get a job yourself, and you say, well, wait, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. This isn't what I wanted. But you got to learn how to talk about to understand not only their needs, the one who is diagnosed, but your needs. You actually have to have that relationship where both of you are understanding and speaking respectfully about what is going on. And it can be very emotionally exhausting as you're trying to manage the day-to-day -day living. If you're the one living with the mental illness or you're the one who's in charge of trying to support that person with the mental illness. And maybe if it's a romantic relationship, you'll experience other kind of challenges like with intimacy because maybe of the medications that they take, they, they have a hypersexual drive, right? They want sex more or intimacy more or maybe hyposexual or they want it less. And it's easy to take these things personally. It's like, well, I just, you know, I, I don't know how to respond to that. But you can. You can learn how to live with somebody, support somebody, whether your child or your spouse, with mental illness. Because more now than ever, it's prevalent. A lot of people are really struggling right now. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. I do not encourage you to be the one to go to Dr. Google and say, well, I think that this is your problem. Leave that up for the professionals. Your job as a spouse is to be a good spouse or a good parent. Not a good therapist. Not somebody who's diagnosing them. There are wonderful places to go, the National Institute of Mental Health, where you can read about things once somebody has been diagnosed. It's like, well, wow, my spouse was just diagnosed with bipolar. What does that mean? Then you could go to a reputable site, again, like the National Institute of Mental Health, and say, well, let me understand this. Let me try to understand their therapy, their treatment, the medications. And sometimes it can be just difficult 
to see the signs of mental illness. Because depending on the person's age, their symptoms might present differently. For instance, sometimes with young people, you might look and say, wow, they're really angry. But the truth is they might just be really depressed because young people present differently than older people with depression. But you can look for things, signs, clues, changes of appetite or sleeping patterns or extreme emotional shifts. Again, if you've got a teenager, you might be seeing that anyway. But depending on how severe it is, you might say, I think this is something else. I need to consult a professional. You know, sometimes some of the other symptoms are just increased irritability or sadness or anxiety or anger or worry. And particularly if you see your loved one, again, whether he or she's a child or your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and they start expressing thoughts related to self-harm or harming others, you've got to take this really seriously. Of course, the obvious ones are hallucinations or delusions. Then that's something probably significant. But let's just say it's something a little bit less severe something less than schizophrenia. It doesn't mean that it's not going to require a Herculean effort on your side to support that person. But to support that person, you first have to figure out what it is that you need. Can you prepare yourself for their emotional outbursts if you know that's coming? Can you prepare yourself if they're going to withdraw or not engage in activities that maybe you once shared together? How do you actually be supportive of one who is newly diagnosed, diagnosed. Because, of course, if somebody's diagnosed with some kind of mental disorder, they can be devastated. They can be embarrassed. And they might think to themselves, you're going to see me much differently now. Or how is the world going to understand my mental illness? But for some people, and I've seen this, when you can diagnose somebody and say, hey, I think you've actually got bipolar disorder and here's how we're going to treatment, treat it. Then they can finally say, oh, wow, all this time I thought I was just losing my mind completely, but now this diagnosis gives me a framework in which to understand my own struggle. So not everybody's going to have an adverse uh, uh, response to a diagnosis. For some people, it might be very helpful. And I would say to understand it from a Christian perspective, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, he said he's talking about marriage and husbands and wives, and he said, wives, and I'd say you could invert this, you could say wives or husbands, understand and support each other in ways that show you your support for Christ. So I always think about this when I'm dealing with somebody who might be difficult in my practice as a therapist. If for some reason I feel my buttons are being pushed, I do two things. One, I look at my own self-care. Joe, are you taking care of yourself? Now, the truth is I actually take excellent care of myself. I make sure I exercise a lot every day. I eat right. I focus on getting good sleep. I have good and supportive and loving relationships. Because when I do all of that, then I can be available for my clients. And I'm not going to be triggered. But that's the first thing I look at. And that might be something that you look to. Again, your job is not to be a therapist to somebody, but to be that loving spouse or daughter, whatever it is. You have to take care of yourself. 
you know, you might be interested if they go in for therapy and you might say to yourself, a part of you is like, wow, thank God they're finally getting therapy. And then they come home from therapy. So tell me what your therapist say. What do you talk about? <laughs> it's natural, but you've got to respect their privacy because this is something difficult for them. It's like, yeah, I'm getting help with my mental disorder. But you've got to respect their privacy. Now, of course, if because of their diagnosis, whatever it is, if they seem that they could be physically dangerous or emotionally abusive, then you've really got to take care of yourself. You might have to remove yourself. You know, contact emergency services. Or if they talk about harming themselves or other people, this is not something you want to take on by yourself. But there are people who are qualified to step in and say, yes, I get this. You want to kill yourself. You want to harm yourself. Let me help you. But in that case, it's probably going to be the professional, not you, that's saying, oh, you want to kill yourself. Okay, let's sit down and talk about it. Don't get in over your head. Just like you wouldn't try to operate on yourself, you need that objective professional person to step in and say, let me help you. Whether that person is your child, it's not unusual for children to say, I just want to die. Now, sometimes kids can be melodramatic. I hate you. I'm leaving. I'm running away. You're never going to see me. Yeah, sometimes that's the case. But I would always take in those words very carefully and measure them and have a conversation. If your child is saying things that indicate that he or she may want to hurt themselves or run away, honey, let's talk about this. I want to understand. I want to help you. But don't pressure yourself to resolve everything. Maybe your job is just to be that loving parent, to hug, to kiss, to remind them that they're loved. But then you get them that professional help that they need. Sometimes if this person who's struggling is maybe a roommate that you have, you've got to have boundaries. Just like you have fences between houses or walls between rooms. You've got to have those emotional boundaries and say, I see that you're really struggling right now. I see that you're in a lot of pain. And maybe I can take you to somebody who can help you with your pain. But maybe your boundary is, I can't take on your pain. I'm not the professional. Your job is not to become their therapist. I am a therapist. I'm well-trained. I've got a lot of experience, but I know the difference. When I'm talking to my wife or a family member, I'm, my job is to be a great husband or a great brother or a great friend, not a great therapist. And your job isn't to be that therapist either. Again, you got to set a boundary and say, I can love you. I can support you. I can have empathy for you. I want to encourage you to seek help to recover. But he or she, the one who is diagnosed, is responsible for managing their symptoms and their recovery. Your job is to love and to support, but sometimes you've got to think about what that is and what that isn't. Because it's very easy to get sucked into somebody else's pain and take that on, and now all of a sudden, who's worse off? Maybe now you're both 
going to be diagnosed with depression or anxiety because you haven't set those healthy boundaries to step back to say, you know what? You need help. This is what I can do. I can love you, but I can't be your therapist. You don't want to get into that enabling behavior where it's like, oh, I see you're really stressed out. I see that you're drinking a lot because of your stress. Well, okay, let me get you another cocktail. That's not helping. Sometimes you have to say, hey, I see you're stressed, but what you're doing, this is ineffective. This is ineffectual for actually bringing about the change that you need. When the helper needs help, you've got to practice self-care. Sometimes it goes back to the basics. But again, if you're the one responsible for loving somebody, remember your job is not to be the therapist. But what does your sleep look like? Are you getting regular physical exercise? How are you eating? Are you spending time with other people, your trusted friends and loved ones? Are you engaging in activities that you love to do? You know, are you writing about your thoughts, your feelings? Maybe it's time for you to consider getting help for yourself so that you can continue to be that helpful partner. Because it's very easy to get what's called caregiver fatigue, that burnout. And some of the signs of feeling burned out is that you're just overwhelmed or exhausted. Or again, you're feeling that increase in stress or anxious, or depressed, or you're seeing that there are changes in your appetite or sleep, or you're irritated or feeling helpless. Some people talk about mindful meditation. I think about it more often in terms of prayer and getting away with God. And I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. He said, and I'm just going to paraphrase it. He said, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out? Come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. God recognizes that there are going to be times that you're burnt out, that you're overwhelmed because you're trying to do too much for somebody else. And God said, I can provide the healing that you need. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me, God says, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Think about getting help. Again, if it wasn't just yesterday, getting a call from that woman who is so desperately needing help for her husband. And I love the fact that she was reaching out, that she was taking these steps because she recognized that she couldn't do it. And maybe she was even being blamed for the demise of the relationship. But the truth is he needed to address the things. This sounds kind of funny, maybe psychobabbly, but he needed to address the trauma from his childhood because he was still living it out today. And so if somebody is blaming you for all their problems, you got to learn how to not take that personally. Easier said than done. But you might need that professional support yourself so that you don't become overwhelmed and stressed out. You know, if you're living with somebody who has a mental health disorder, it's not unusual for you to feel overwhelmed or frustrated or angry or sad. 
But again, these emotions are there to tell you something. Hey, helper, you need help. Maybe it's couples therapy. Even though he or she is the one with the disorder, this is affecting you. This is affecting your family. Maybe it's family therapy. But you've got to talk about what's going on for you to understand those dynamics and move from the unhealthy dynamics to a functional, more loving dynamic. Again, if it's your child who has a mental health condition, think about family therapy. You know, think about how you can best support your child. Again, you can't be expected to know necessarily what is best just because you're a parent because you don't study this. It's not your fault. But reach out just like if your child was really sick. You wouldn't say, well, I'm going to go to Dr. Google and diagnose you and treat you. You'd take him or her to your, your pediatrician. But don't be afraid of getting help. Don't fall into the trap where all of a sudden you're feeling attacked and so you attack back. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, don't pick on people or jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. And sometimes you're going to feel defensive if you are the helper. Recognize that you need help. Be easy on people. Have boundaries. God says when you give away your life, you're going to find life given back, but not just merely given back, but given back with bonus and blessing. Be that blessing. Be that helper. But be aware when the helper needs help. I will meet you back on the road. And remember, always forward.